I am here. <laughs> Welcome back, Shadows, to the final episode of season two of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive with me, Eggs Benedict. And me, Alison Barton Simmons. We had a different introduction there, Al, which was um, in tribute to the late Alan Hawkshaw, who died last week. Oh, I was grooving along. It's a groovy song. It is, isn't it? He's one of those guys that people don't know the name of, but they know a lot of his work. He did the countdown music, the donka donka donk donka donka donk. Really? He did that. He did Dave Allen. You know the Dave Allen music. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I do know that. I don't know how you know it from my interpretation, but yes, he was a very talented man, so that was our little tribute to him. I think the Grange Hill theme, great, well, sorry, Grange Hill slash give us a clue theme. Yeah, not that one. Is um is 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 the the most memorable, isn't it? It's it is. it's one that sticks in your mind. It's a belter. It is, isn't it? Even better than. <laughs> Give us a clue. <laughs> I don't know. I think they're on a par. Do you? Mm. I do. I do because I, I I do love that one with Michael Parkinson. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we mention Give us a clue every episode? I don't know. <laughs> It's like an earworm now that I can be like, you know, cleaning the bath. Yeah. And, yeah. It is very much one of them. Once it's in your head, it'll take literally weeks to go. Yeah. So so this episode, which is the last of our series, is the very last episode ever made of Faulty Towers. We're at the end of our journey as we deep dive the 12th and final episode. And it's called... Basil the Rat. Hey, rat fans. (laughs) It is indeed. Um, you can watch this episode on Daily Motion or on BritBox or on, I don't even know, it might not even be on iPlayer anymore. Cause, yeah. I think it is. No, I've watched it on iPlayer. Oh, did you? Still there for now. Yeah, yeah. still there for now. Yeah, okay. So there's plenty of places you can watch it if you want to um, take it in before you listen to us, take it apart. Not in a bad way, I just mean yeah. you know, forensically. <laughs> now, as this is a very Manuel-centric episode, Al, would you like yes. to hear a little bit about the Andrew Sachs comedy vehicle Dead Earnest? I might regret saying this, but yes, I'd love to hear more, please. Well, yeah, it leaves me in something of a cul-de-sac if you say no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dead earnest. Do you know anything about it? I know nothing. I know nothing! I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, dead earnest scored a lowly 5.4 on average on IMDb. It was a comedy vehicle for Andrew Sachs. It was at the height of his sort of post-Faulty Towers fame, 1981 and 1982. Okay. And it was it was a vehicle just to try and get him more mainstream leading man work. He starred as the titular Ernest who gets killed by a champagne cork after winning the pools. Oh, that escalated quick. It, yeah, I know, yeah. This is episode one, first five minutes. <laughs> he goes to heaven and spends the rest of the series trying to get back because the, author- the authorities in heaven admit that the death was an administrative error and he'd actually oh, been scheduled to die in his bed in Lyme Regis in 2007. Oh, dear. Right. So they agreed to send him back, but his kidneys have already been donated, so he can't <laughs> go back to his own... His own. But I know it sounds... It's really out there for for an early 80s sitcom, isn't it? Wow. You know, it sounds like a great premise, but unfortunately it, it didn't get great reviews. It lasted a measly seven episodes, with Andrew Sachs himself later remarking that I died on that show in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh dear. Does it become very dialysis centric quite quickly if his kidneys aren't there or is it just him going to the hospital and back? Well, I can't say I've seen it, but my understanding is that he, he can't go back to his body. So um, in heaven, they try and find him other jobs to do. And he's like, no, I want, he's basically petitioning all the time to go back and be reincarnated. And I think it's the case that he tries all these different roles and he's not suitable for them up in, up in the sky. You know what I mean? Okay. There's lots of uh, cameos, people you would also know in it. There's uh, John the Measurer as head of plagues, you know, John the Measurer. <laughs> yes, I do, yeah. Yeah, John the Measurer. <laughs> from uh, Dad's Army. <laughs> yeah. uh, Percy Sugden's in it from Corrie. Right. Bill Waddington. Ethel from EastEnders. Gretchen Franklin. So there's That's lots a of... Star, a star-studded cast, really. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that's how you want to classify Percy and Ethel. So, don't you think that sounds like a great premise that just probably was let down by poor writing? Perhaps. You're not on board with it? I, I, I am. I'm, I'm just thrown. No, I'm just thrown by what a, an extravagant sort of start to a to a, a series. You get hit with a champagne cork and then die. Yeah, yeah. He's celebrating it's his pools with a, with a prosy in a motel. Wow. <laughs> Very 1980s. Yeah. I can't even imagine him in the role, really. I'd love to see it, but it's not on YouTube or Daily Motion. So if any of our listeners know where I can get a hold of that, I'd, I'd give it a watch. It's only seven episodes. We could do a little um, subscriber-only deep dive, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go into uh, Andrew Sack's other work, other than to say that his final acting role mm. was as a cameo as a clumsy waiter. Cos. In the god-awful Run For Your Wife 2012 movie starring... Danny Dyer. It also had Denise Van Outen, Sarah Harding. Did she yes, die recently? She did die recently, yes. yeah. And uh, Neil Morrissey. And it was an awful movie, a bawdy sort of old school sitcom about a bigamist who gets caught out. Dyer plays a bigamist. Uh, his character is sort of portrayed as some sort of lovable anti-hero rather than a bigamist shit yes. ass. yeah. This one gets 2.8 on IMDb. I mean, oh, my God. It's really a stinker. But uh, what one reviewer actually wrote, this movie made me kill myself. Oh, God. <laughs> That's very dramatic. I feel like I've seen this as a stage show. It's like a, a, a like a body, farcical um Oh, you might be right. Yeah. In Bournemouth. This this is it's bringing back memories of being taken as like a, a maybe 11-year-old. I, I think it was really inappropriate for me to be there watching it because it yeah. was all... Doors opening, people in underwear. I shouldn't have been watching it, I don't think. But we were in Bournemouth on holiday and there was nothing else to do. So that's mm. where I was taken. But run, yeah, run it, for your wife. It does That does ring a bell. Obviously, they were going for this sort of like old school thing. And they had lots of other cameos in as well as okay. Andrew Sachs essentially reprising Manuel. They also had yeah. cameos from Richard Bryars. Oh. Biggins. Yeah. Lionel Blair. He's trousers flare. And Lionel Blair. I should have put him at the end, shouldn't I? And Jeffrey Holland. He was in it too. Vicky Michelle. Oh, yeah. Russ Abbott. Wow. And Cribbins. Another star-studded cast. Yeah. What a shame that it was rubbish. Also, Cliff Richard and Rolf Harris were both in it, but I don't group those two together f- oh for any other reason than... Can't have, you can't have everything, can you? I don't want the lawyers on to me. But, um... No. Yes, so there you go. That's a microcosm of Andrew Satt's career, shall we say. Blimey, yeah. 
So was he like a, a Manuel-esque waiter? Did he sort of... Was it literally like a, a, a role reprisal or... Do you know what? It's on YouTube, but the audio's out of sync completely. Like, I mean, by oh. about 10 seconds. So I might... Oh, God. <laughs> I might download it and realign the audio and just upload the Andrew Sachs bit to our, our social media channels so people can see. I'd like that. And the Richard Bryce bit and the Biggins bit. Yeah, there's loads to go off there. <laughs> and the it? Bernard Cribbins bit. In fact, I'll get some fucking mileage out of this dreadful yes, movie. that's it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I digress. That's Andrew Sachs for you. Shall we, um, shall we get stuck into this final episode then, Basil the Rat? Yeah, let's do that. So the first thing to say about this episode, Basil the Rat, is this one aired six months after all the others, didn't it, due to a BBC strike? Right. So that's that's quite a big amount of time. Mm. So so <laughs> there was all the first five episodes then together as a block, and then mm. this came months afterwards. Mm. Mm. I wonder what what were the viewing figures for this one for this oh, episode on its own? Because surely you'd have lost like continuity. You'd have you'd have lost the momentum of watching it every week. I suppose. I don't think that Faulty Towers is one with a story arc, though, is it? <laughs> you can just dip it's not, in and out. Do you, know, do you know if like you've you've sort of got a time set aside every week that that's what you do? Yeah. If all of a sudden it's not there for you to watch, then I can just sort of see people getting out of sync with it. Let's have a look. So, this one was broadcast on 25th of October 1979. Right. And the previous one was March 26th. That's a big, a big, big old gap, gap isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, it comes mm. back for one and then it's gone. That's your lot. Mm. There you go. But the sign on this one was Farty Towels. And is this Ooh. a repeat? No, it was Warty, Warty Towels we had oh, okay. a few weeks back. Pay attention, Ben. Whatever's going on, the towels need a wash because yeah. it's just gross. <laughs> oh, it's not the only thing that's gross in this episode. I won't be eating veal, <laughs> I won't be eating veal for a while anyway. <laughs> yes. Ugh. So um, at the beginning of this episode, we actually see the Faulties arrive, don't we, in their wee yeah. red car. They get out and they're obviously squabbling already from the get-go. Bass was quite nattily dressed. I'm sure you'll come on to say that, but I thought mm. he looked quite smart when he got out of the car. He did. And Sybil's moaning because she wants to go out more. And Basil is basically putting a spanner in the works whenever she wants to do anything, it seems. Yeah. She's sick of being cooped up, she says. Yeah. And then I think it, it sort of segues into how they ever got together in the first place. And, and Sybil says, black magic, my mother says. <laughs> and then Basil says, well, she'd know, wouldn't she, her and that cat? <laughs> Basil has some wonderful lines in this episode. I thought this was, dialogue-wise, it was amongst the best. Yeah. With that little sort of remark, he skulks off into the kitchen, whereupon he finds a sort of funny little bald fella inspecting a plate of meat. With ridiculous intent, doesn't he? Yeah, he's on his knees. He's practically got his nose in it, hasn't he? Yeah. What's he open to see? Like germs with a naked eye. <laughs> Just a weird, weird situation, isn't it? Uh, well, Basil obviously goes immediately on the passive-aggressive, sarcastically offers him a wine list to accompany him, <laughs> accompany him inspecting the meat. Um, I would have thought the clipboard which was on the table would be a clue. Yeah, he was obviously somebody of some importance. Well, I don't know. Clipboard to me doesn't necessarily denote importance so much as jumped up prick. Oh, okay. 
Any, anyone with a clipboard is usually a jumped-up prick, in my experience. And, and it turns out that this is the case with this man. He introduces himself as Mr. Carnegie. Carnegie? Mm. Yeah. From the public health department. And Basil does one of those embarrassing, cringeworthy attempts to recall the words back into his mouth. Oh. I suppose more accurately, he, he tries to sort of whitewash his previous remarks, doesn't he? Kind of yeah. retconning their meaning into something they weren't, and it just never works oh, for him. It's just embarrassing. <laughs> it's just, yeah, Painful. you feel second hand embarrassment for him. So Polly enters the room and, and presents some receipts for Mr. Carnegie, and she mouths something to Terry that's mm. unclear. I'm not sure what that was, but Terry Scarpers, doesn't he? She sort of mouths something at the side of her mouth, and he jumps out the door. Not sure what that was. Ah, right, okay. Obviously, covering for something. Mm. This is where Mr. Carnegie pompously announces that the property isn't up to standards. He sort of vocalises a list of lengthy failures for the oh, for the health and safety. And it's grim. Yeah, it is. But this is what I mean about him being a pompous prick because he's unnecessarily rolling his R's, isn't he? Did you notice? Yeah. He's sort of grubby, <laughs> same mm. words. Yeah. Just being a real fastidious, power-crazed dickwad about it all. Yeah. Can't stand people like that. Yeah, I'd ram the clipboard up his arse if I was Basil, but um, <laughs> he's even got pens sticking out of his breast of his jacket. You know, like like Michael Douglas yeah. in Falling Down. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, that's like to sort of um, it's to sort of show that you've that you've got authority. I think that's what people did to show that they had authority, that they were knowledgeable mm. about what they were talking about. When really the the kind of people that don't want to get their hands dirty, they just walk around with an air of importance. Yeah, conceit. Yeah. He's, mm. He could be related to Mr. Hutchison, Cribbins. He could. In his yes, demeanour, he could. couldn't he? Mm. Although there are dead pigeons in the water tank, so mm. there is an issue. <laughs> he's, he's, he's almost on the on the ball, isn't he? He knows, he knows that this is a bad bad state of affairs, really. He's doing his job, but it's just the way he's mm. doing it that's annoying me, really. <laughs> he reminds me of, of my friend's trading standards husband that I've mentioned before. The DVD guy? Yeah, and I think I got away with it last time, so I'll mention him again. <laughs> yeah. Three years down the line, they'll be like, let's check out that podcast that, that Ben does. <laughs> and that'll be me out of their lives. As he's listing all these things, Basil sort of tries to cut him short, saying, yes, yeah, say no more. He's <laughs> like, no, I will say more, because there's a lot to say. Yes. And the, the final flourish that Mr. Carnegie, Carnegie gives is, after essentially telling them that they have 24 hours to fix this massive list of, of problems, is to announce that the only gourmets you'll find scavenging in this kitchen are kamikaze ones. Yes. Cutting. Absolutely. Greasy and encrusted deep fat fryer, dirty cracked and stained food preparation surfaces, dirty cracked and missing wall and floor tiles, dirty marked and stained utensils, dirty and greasy interior surfaces of the ventilator hoods. Yes, about the deep fat fryer. Inadequate no. temperature control and storage of dangerous foodstuffs, storage of cooked and raw meat in same trays, storage of raw meat above confectionery with consequent dripping of meat juices onto cream products. Refrigerator seals loose and cracked, icebox undefrosted, and refrigerator overstocked. Yes, say no more. Um, food <laughs> handling routines, suspect, evidence of smoking in food preparation area, dirty and grubby food handling overalls, lack of wash hand basin which you gave us a verbal assurance you'd have installed on our last visit six months ago, and two dead pigeons in the water tank. <laughs> Otherwise okay? So when he's buggered off, Terry comes back in and he's very sort of Cockney wide boy laissez-faire about the whole thing and he's like, oh, fuck yeah. it, I thought we were in trouble there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about the, the state of the kitchen and when when they sort of set to to get it all cleaned, just how much oh, crap there must have been shit, like yeah. under things and behind things and all fluff stuck all over like congealed fat. Ugh. Well, Terry does actually refer to the place as filthy towers, doesn't he? <laughs> filthy towers. <laughs> I don't think Basil sees the funny side of yes. that. Yes, no. Um, but yeah, he's doing his full. Cockney wide boy routine, isn't he? He's like, mm. it'll be all right, don't you fucking worry. I'll have Ronnie and Reggie have a little word with the cant. <laughs> he won't mag me off again. So the Faulties and the staff get to work and we're introduced to a Faulty Towers resident who we've never seen before, but apparently has always existed because it's convenient. Yeah. The cat, the no-name cat. Yes. We've never seen it before, but Polly removes her from the kitchen. Very clumsily, actually. Connie Booth needs to work on a cat... A cat relocation cat techniques. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't pick up that cat at all gracefully. In fact, she's not graceful at all in this episode, Connie, because she slips over nearly, doesn't she? When? I, didn't, I don't remember seeing that bit. Later on, where you know where Basil yeah. put the step, put the veal on the floor? Yes. She slips in it. <laughs> and um, it's not it's not part of the script, but they, they obviously right, kept it in. she just literally slipped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so at this point, Basil's upstairs fetching Manuel, who is presumably off duty, isn't he? And he's... Playing yeah, his guitar. Yeah, he doesn't get own. a minute, does he? He doesn't get a minute, does Manuel? Well, he, he's he's getting a little bit of time to play guitar and do some very flamenco guitar. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's disturbed as Basil goes in and basically he, he wants Manuel to go up onto the roof to remove these dead pigeons from the water tank. Is that a water tank that provides fresh water for the hotel that's got pigeons in it? Right, okay. Yeah. Manuel is um, seriously tickled by what he misconstrues as two dead pigs. Because when Basil says Basil <laughs> yes. says pigeon, he takes it as pig in, pig, pig in. in the water tank, and he's literally falling about laughing, pissing his sides with laughter. He isn't is. he, Manuel? It was quite sweet. He's like a pig. A pig. <laughs> he's just really <laughs> sweet. Basil's obviously too stressed to find this amusing. And then the conversation sidetracked, isn't it, when he notices that Manuel's pet in his cage. The eponymous Basil the Rat. Yes. Is 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 a rat. <laughs> yeah, it's... Manuel Manuel thinks he's got a hamster. Yeah, yeah. His explanation of how he came to buy this hamster is uh just shows what a naive individual he is. Yeah. Doesn't it? He's been he's basically been hard, hasn't he? <laughs> to buy in a hamster. That's actually a rat. What does he say? It is a filigree Siberian hamster. Mm. <laughs> Some sharp thinking from the salesman there, I think. But Basil's having none of it. He takes the rat away, pursued by a very distraught Manuel. He's obviously very fond of his pet. Absolutely. He's begging Basil, isn't he, up in the landing. Declaring, I love him, I love him. And he's got hold of Basil's leg. And this is right in front of the two old dears who've just turned up on the landing with their jewellery on. As they always do. Always do. Rattle, rattle, jewellery, jewellery. They've got all their beads, and Basil's trying to hide the hamster behind his leg from these coffin dodgers, but mm. uh, they're consoling Manuel, and they say, oh, we'll, we'll keep the... the um, well, they don't know what it is. They just say, we'll keep it in the room Yeah. for you, Manuel. And Basil's answer to this is just to hold up the cage in front of Miss Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> and then she screams, much like oh. the hysterical screaming we saw from Miss Tibbs in the, in the Kipper and the Corpse when Mr. Corpse yeah. was being carried around which allows Basil to make his escape from Manuel and go down the stairs with the rat, past the pampas grass. Yes. I'm sure you noticed. Yes. And into the kitchen. 
Polly says that her friend will will take the the rat. Yeah, Polly to the rescue again, isn't it? Yep. Oh, oh, the bit where they're walking through the car park, holding hold, both holding the um, the cage. I thought was really cute. Polly and Manuel. It's very sad though, wasn't it? It was. Sad music. There was sad music, and sort of Polly. Polly almost takes um like a parental role with with Manuel on occasion. Yeah, she looks after him, doesn't she? I mean, yeah. she clearly knew all along that this was a rat, but didn't say anything because yeah. she thought, well, it's not harming anyone. Exactly. She's she's very sweet in, in looking after him. Mm. In the kitchen, Sybil is excoriating Basil for not knowing about the rat. Yeah. Which she obviously didn't know about either. Mm. Yeah. And Basil sort of flabbergasted at her remarks, isn't he? He's, it leads to him uttering that famous line about, can we get you on Mastermind, Sybil? <laughs> Why don't you check? What? What you mean he's had it for a whole year and you've only just found out? Yes. Well, supposing the health inspector had seen it. I know. He could have closed us down. Well, what are you going to do with it, Bowser? You can't keep it in here. I know. And don't let it loose in the garden. It'll come back in the house. Can't we get you a mastermind, Sybil? Next contestant, Sybil Forty from Torquay. Special subject, the bleeding obvious. I wasn't going to let it go in the garden. What leads to, to Polly volunteering to rehome the rat is Sybil pointing out that this is Manuel's beloved pet and they have a duty of care. She wants to rehome it rather than set it free in a field. And Basil sarcastically observes he might be mugged by a f- bunch of field mice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll put an ad in the papers. I wanted kind home for enormous savage rodent. <laughs> Answers to the name of Sybil. Manuel actually issues an ultimatum, doesn't he? He says, he go, I go. Yeah, he's, he's he's obviously very fond of of this rat, and if it was if it was just a pet that he was keeping, and they they were none the wiser beforehand, I, I don't understand why it has to be a, a problem. Why he has to get rid of it? It's that thing again where we we say it every week, otherwise there would be no no, There'd be no story. Yeah, because I feel for Manuel though, because I wanted a pet rat when I lived in in, in like a flat. Yeah, I, I love rat. I'd have a rat tomorrow. Oh no! It's the tails that do it. Oh, I can't be doing with the tails. They're so horrible. We wanted to we, when we lived in 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 like a flat, and it was the well. What if it breaks out? We'll get thrown out because we've got a rat. But yeah, it's not going to get out because it's my pet. So I'm I'm with it. I'm with Manuel. Basil could easily have gone and took the cage and put it in the back of his car for a day. Yes, and then brought <laughs> it. Would, it would all be fine. No wouldn't problem. It? Not there's no episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, nothing funny about that. But yeah, there is a. A reasonable way of getting around it. So in the scene where you see um, Polly and Manuel walking off with the cage, did you notice that the signage of the actual country club is visible, where you can see the sign saying yes. uh, Woodburn Grange Country Club? Ah, is that what it said? I, I knew there was a sign because it looked like a golf club sign. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where okay. the exterior shots were filmed. Okay. Uh, they didn't bother trying to hide it. <laughs> Not thinking that two knobheads... 40 years later would exactly. be We're talking gonna about it, Exactly, we're going to spot this, yeah. Evening, Major. Evening, Forty. Hampshire One. Back in the kitchen, the staff all seem to have everything in hand now, don't they? All nice and clean. But the no-name cat's back again, which is important mm-hmm. to the storyline. Sybil yep. puts the cat out a lot more gracefully than Connie Booth did. Yep. And then Manuel enters the kitchen looking like sad Charlie Brown, doesn't he? He's got his little black armband on because he's in mourning for his rat. Did he? I didn't notice he the did. armband. He did. He had a black armband. Yeah. Oh. oh, I know. He's like um, George Michael in Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah, 
his little sad Charlie Brown walk. Well, I mean, it is easy to get attached to a pet regardless. I mean, cats and dogs, people sympathise with if a cat or a dog dies, right? But yeah. no matter what your pet is, it's still your pet. I'm dreading my hamster dying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it is a hamster. She's definitely a hamster, but she's she's um, about 20 months now, and they only live to look like 18 months, two years. Well, why would you buy a pet that's going to expire so quickly? <gasps> I don't know. And, and she sleeps all day. We only ever see her for about 10 minutes at night time, but we're very attached to her. Yeah. But she's quite elderly. She's quite an elderly hamster now. She can't get up her... Um, a ladder without a hand. What would you do with her when? I know this is a bit maudlin, but what will you do with her when she when she carks it? I think we'll have to put her in a box and we'll bury her in the garden. Right. You don't go in for a uh, taxidermy like the janitor in Scrubs. I thought. <laughs> do you know what I have thought about that? About really? something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think no, she'll don't be. Because I think hamsters. I think she's looking quite not raggedy, but she's she's looking quite elderly. Yeah. Because in hamster years, she is quite elderly. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's not the right thing to do. We'll if you taxidermy her, she won't look like her anymore. You know, when you ever see anything taxidermy, they always look like No, that's true. Yeah, she'll just look wild, won't she? So I, th- I think that's what we'll have to do. But I am, yeah, I'm not looking forward to having to deal with that when it happens. I think if if they allowed it, I would be keen for me to be taxidermied after my death. What position? Like a... <clears throat> would you? And just stick me in the <laughs> hall in case any burglars come in, just in sort of attack mode. Yeah, yeah, just always attacking. Yeah, yeah, in an attack stance. Just hanging out at the front door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could you use like a coat rack? You could just put things over your arms if you've got your arms out. You could just like yeah. put coats over. Multi-purpose. Hats on your head. Do you remember my plan to deal with burglars when I lived in the UK? Oh, was it something to do with being naked with a... a, a... Light, lightsaber. A lightsaber. Yes, yeah, I do yeah. remember this. Yeah, because... Because I think did did I give Johnny my lightsaber? I can't remember. Yeah, no, I just bought him one, yeah. didn't I? It's up, it's up on his wall. Yeah. They were so good those replica lightsabers that were available mm. in the noughties. If I come downstairs, El Bolico, yeah, and lit one of them up, yeah. If you act nuts, people are freaked out. Yes. People don't want to deal with nuts. So if you light up a lightsaber naked, a fat man coming downstairs naked with a lightsaber will scare off a burglar. You'd guaranteed. run away. You'd run you away would. fast. Yeah. You'd, you'd like. Just, I'm yeah. fucking not getting involved in this. Nope, this is too much. Yeah, I have got a gun, but I'm I'm too frightened and I will run away. Yeah, exactly. Well, they don't know that I might be able to deflect it with my with my lightsaber. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Or just envelop it in one of the rolls of fat, and it'll never <laughs> never hit a vital organ. It's the element of surprise, isn't it? It's the element of surprise. That's what people are not expecting. So can't you have a rat euthanized though, painlessly, rather than have it exterminated? Because extermination is like something Daleks do, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I don't know. They could have took it and have it put down by a vet like that one that did Michael Jackson, just painlessly put to sleep, you know. I think that would have... Just go back. A what? A Michael Jackson? Like that vet that put down Michael Jackson. <laughs> All right. I thought you went Michael Jackson. I'd like a hamster. No, no, no. I just mean like that guy who put him down. Who put Michael Jackson was... down. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go and find him. And... Anyway, they've dealt with it, or at least they pretend to have dealt with it. They have. <laughs> We've really gone off on the tangent here, haven't we? <laughs> So anyway, Basil's trying to cheer up Manuel, and and this is really sad because he claps him on the back, triggering a yeah. sort of very sad PTSD reaction from Manuel, saying, "Don't hit me! You always hit me." Yeah, he's had enough, I think, can't he? At this stage, he's had his pet taken off him. Yeah, he keeps getting smacked. Yeah, don't know why he just doesn't quit. He should do. Mm. But Bas- Basil displays some very old-fashioned views on depression, doesn't he? he says he we does. didn't win the war by getting depressed. It's the <sighs> war again, isn't it? Oh, always the war. 
it quickly transpires that Manuel is actually playing an act and laying it on very thick. Mm. As soon as Basil's out of the way, Polly's sort of warning him to tone it down. He's, he's being too sad. Yes. He's acting. Another string to Manuel's bow. Yeah. As well as paella. Paella and, and acting. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. So what's actually happening here is that Polly has pretended she has a friend who's taken a rap, but in reality, the thing's been temporarily rehomed outside into a sort of shed near the kitchen, isn't it? Yes. On the sly, which is Very asking clever. for trouble. Uh, yes. And And this is revealed where Manuel pops out to feed the rat. And this is actually the reveal where we where we learn that the rat's name is Basil. Basil the rat, indeed. Calling him going, Basil! Back at reception, Polly is resorting to rather aggressive sales techniques to shift her art. Isn't she? Yeah, it was quite odd. It was it was quite an odd juxtaposition from what had just happened. Yeah. To to, to Polly with a wrapped up picture in like brown paper, yeah, um, trying to flog it to some guy who really doesn't want it. Yeah, I mean, he was just trying to check out of his hotel, and she'd wrapped it for him and everything. Yeah, yeah, it was quite just a, a weird. Fiver. You bastard. A weird setup, yeah. But then when he goes and she doesn't want it, she says, "You bastard," which was yeah. really out of character. I found. I admire her for the, for her hustle almost. Yeah. When uh, I was a kid, I got carried away with my own success at a car boot sale. We were doing a car <laughs> right. boot. Me and my dad were doing a car boot sale, and uh, yeah, I went off. I was bored basically selling shit, and I went off to have a look. Yeah. And I decided that I was Del Boy at the market and I could do a bit of buying and selling and make a profit. Right, yeah. And I was scouting around, having a bit of a pipe about, you know, see what's mm-hmm. what. And I found a punnet of raspberries. There was loads of raspberries in it. And it was only like, I don't know, two quid or something. So I bought these raspberries, brought them back to the stall, ate a shitload of raspberries and then sold it for two quid. That's um, genius. Quite entrepreneurial, isn't it? I had it my is. lunch, healthy yeah. lunch of raspberries, lots of yeah. um, antioxidants. Yes. And then I sold it. But then flushed with my own success, I went off looking for something else. And I bought this shitty pottery dog. And then I brought it back, and my dad's like, what the fuck have you bought that for? I was like, no, no, we'll turn a profit on this, don't you worry, this time next year. Did you eat half of that and then try and sell, <laughs> try and sell the back end of it? No, no, but because no one was interested, I started going really Del Boy and holding up, going, here are you, dog, here are you, dog, only, only three pound. <laughs> no one fucking wanted it. So I admire no. Polly for her entrepreneurial spirit. You don't get, Absolutely. if you don't ask, you don't get. That is true, that is true. And and sometimes when you do ask, you don't get either, especially when you've bought a shit dog. <laughs> so Manuel bustles in. The rat has escaped out of the cage because Manuel, the idiot, has left the door open so he could exercise in the shed. Oh, Manuel. Basil turns up at this point and Polly adeptly covers for Manuel. Yes. When Manuel is referring to Basil. He's saying, Mr. Faulty to you. And then it's when I think she says to him in Spanish, he's behind you. Yes, yeah. Is that right? You speak Spanish, kind of, don't you? You say paella. Yeah, I think it's like, esta aquí, so, yeah, el esta aquí, so he's, he's here. Yep. You can say he's behind you and paella. <laughs> That's all you need, isn't it, when you go to Spain? That's it. Two things. Get you to all sorts of scrape. The major pops through reception to get the fucking papers and... Picks it up and he says, strike, strike, strike. Why do we bother, Faulty? Yeah. <laughs> Basil goes, didn't know you did, Major. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, fed, I'm fed up with the Major, you know. I think oh, since, um, yeah. I liked him in this one. 
I'm fed up of him as a character. No. Well, I'll tell you why. It's coming up, actually, the bit that I really liked shortly. In the bar, as, as the Major settles down to read all about the strikes, he spots Basil the Rat at an adjacent table. Oh, eating peanuts. Well, before he realises what's going on, mm. he just sort of says something to the rat before realising it's a rat. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. He's talking to the rat like a like just making yes, conversation is. to a fellow barfly. Mm. But when he realises, he, he just sort of says, don't move, disappears. And a second later, he pops back with a shotgun. Of course he does, yeah. But when he walks past Basil, Basil never looks at him in reception. It's brilliant, this scene, because he's got this sort of big clay pigeon rifle or something. He walks yeah. past Basil, the human. Yes. And something in Basil's peripheral vision, or, or maybe a sixth sense, just sort of senses something's wrong, and he follows him. Even mm. though he didn't actually clock the shotgun at any point, it was really clever the way the way they did that. When he enters the bar, he just sees the mate. I mean, the, the, the rat's nowhere to be seen now, but the mage is stalking around declaring, Vermin! Yeah. I think Basil assumes some sort of PTSD flashback, doesn't he, from the old boy to the war? Yeah, because he says, there's not, no Germans this week, Major. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the Major clarifies that it's a rat, Basil looks apoplectic because he sort of suspects what's gone on, doesn't he? Yes, yes. So now he's stalking off, not with the gun, but he, he's stalking off to find Manuel and Polly. And he, he finds Polly in the dining room t- trying to tempt the rat with cheese and call it out, Basil. <laughs> yeah. He says, yes, and she bangs her head on the table. And then when she brings some cheese out, he says, oh, lovely, thanks, and just eats it. <laughs> yeah. Do you notice here, though, when, when, when Basil mimics Polly's voice, saying, oh, I've got a friend, he does it in an American accent? Yes, he does. I did notice that. So do you think that was a bit of an error? The fact that he'd used Connie Booth's real accent and not sort of made it poly polyized. I think only he knows. Um, then again, he probably doesn't anymore because you hear him talk a lot of bullshit about Faulty Towers these days. Mm. You, if you find an interview with John Cleese talking about something on Faulty Towers, I guarantee you there'll be another interview somewhere where he's saying something completely different about okay. the same scene. Right. So he just makes it up. He goes along these days, I think. Well, I mean, I don't remember what happened 40 years ago, do you? No. But it's possible he was just mistaking the actress for the character. Yeah, yeah I think so. Basil's not buying Polly's explanation that that the rat escaped and came home, is he? He says, oh, it's a homing rat. Yeah, he, no, not at all. <laughs> Basil stumbles across a very nearly marked tub of rat poison, almost oh, accidentally, it, doesn't it's he? very obvious what it is. It's like big yeah. letters on the side. Acme, rat poison. Did it have a skull and crossbones on it as well? I think, he, I think he did, yeah. <laughs> very wily coyote. <laughs> and he decides to douse um, a sort of, well, I assumed it was steak fillet, but... It transpires it's veal. Piece of he, veal. He douses this stuff. Mm. Douses the veal in the rat poison and then bungs it straight on the kitchen floor. Yeah, he just sticks it in the middle of the floor, doesn't he? Yeah, health violations um, mm. clearly should be much higher priority to him, but we already yeah. know that he doesn't really take that seriously. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Carnegie's back at reception. He's come back to do his uh, his inspection before potentially shutting down the, the hotel, hasn't he? Yeah. And as Sybil's about to escort him upstairs, a shotgun goes off somewhere in the hotel. Of course it does, yeah. So we know that the Major's found a rat, essentially. <laughs> uh, Basil blames it on a television set and he shoots off, no pun intended, to investigate. <laughs> yes. And and then we see Basil confiscating the gun from the Major. And this, this is the bit I talk about where I like the Major because 
Mr. Carnegie comes in. It looks like the Major's going to give the game away. Basil just knees him in the ghoulies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if on, on iPlayer, because I kept rewinding this, I don't know whether they've taken... It, it looked really muddled as to what had happened. You you know that oh, yeah. the Major... That, that Basil's done something to the Major, yeah. and the Major ends up sort of like clutching his crotch. But it's almost like you don't see the bit that's like like a, a moment of the scene was taken out. Ooh. I don't know. That's a crucial bit to take out as well. Yeah. But it's the Major's reaction to being kneading in the nuts is what amused me. It was yes, a fairy face. carry on. It was, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. You can see like Kenneth Connor doing it or Bernard Breslow or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Manuel is fraught with anxiety, wanting to know what's gone down because he's heard the shotgun himself. Yeah, he's worried. And Polly's thinking on her feet to prevent Manuel blurting out the word rat in front yes. of Mr. Carnegie. She she says ratatouille to cover, which yeah. Manuel misconstrues to, to, to mean that Jacko's gone and put Basil the rat in the ratatouille. In the ratatouille, yes, yes. And they rush off and, and Sybil says he's from Barcelona. There's a cover story. <laughs> Trying to do it in her style then. He's from Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> and Carnegie... I thought the actor who played Carnegie was crap, to be honest, but he did give yeah. good bewilderment when he stood there just just looking totally befuddled. Yeah. As he does at the very end with the reveal of the rat, he just looks totally, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> this is a madhouse. That that was probably the strength of his acting. When he had to speak, he was rather shit. <laughs> yeah. You just sort of think, God, I, I, there were so many actors that could have... They could have got Scotch and water back to do it and no one would have noticed. Yeah, he could have been in every episode, couldn't he? Like <laughs> he Alexi could've... Sale in The Young Ones. <laughs> yeah, just turning up as a, as a different character every week. <laughs> Maybe singing the song now and again. All right, Basil, got a new motor. Get up, Basil! It's all right, it's all right, man. Is, is he all right? Yes, he's all right. He's not dead? No, 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 it was just the Major letting the gun off. The Major tried to kill Basil? Kill Basil? No, no, not Mr. Foddy. I mean Basil, my little... Ratatouille. Basil, the little... Ratatouille. The chef calls the ratatouille Basil because he puts quite a lot of Basil in it. He put Basil in the ratatouille? Yes! Jacko's getting both barrels from Manuel in the kitchen, but he protests. He says, I ain't made any bleeding ratatouille, you slag. That's what he says. I'll fucking open you up, you mag. Or words to that effect. And uh, in the confusion, Manuel knocks a tray of meat on the floor, very close, of course, to where Basil had earlier placed this yes. poisoned veal fillet. Yeah. And we we see Polly and Terry picking up the spilled meat. And as viewers, I don't know if we're supposed to be ahead of this, but, you know, I think you're thinking, oh, shit, did that include the poison? Yeah, I think you can see it a mile coming. I think you can. Yeah, but I don't know if television viewers in the 70s just weren't as shrewd. I, I think a lot of the time it's like... The reveal, which we see coming a mile off, is is from watching so many sitcoms over the years. Oh, okay. Right. S- some of them would have been, oh, I didn't see that coming, maybe. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. We're just looking for, I think we're always looking for the um, the answer before. The obvious pratfall or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Maybe. Basil, having given the major a good talking to, so he knows the story, as if mm. he's going to remember anyway. <laughs> he doesn't even remember being needing the bollocks about exactly. two minutes ago, does he? Yeah. Basil's back in the kitchen where he puts no name cat out again. Yes. Just in case we didn't clock the fact that they had a cat the previous two times. Here it is again with the big arrow. Yep. <laughs> it's the cat. Uh, it's only now that Basil tells Terry about the poison veal that he earlier put down. Oh, and this dear. is just as Polly is serving veal to some guests in the dining room. 
Basil rushes in and snatches two plates off some of the guests, um, declaring veals off. Mm. One of these guests was Andrew Sack's real-life wife. Oh, right. Yeah, the one who wanted the veal substitute. Okay, yeah. Sybil's taking care of Mr Carnegie professionally, as as always. She's lazy, but she's good when she does work, isn't she? Yeah, she did. she's good at putting fires out. And, and Basil's fetching a bottle of wine for the guests who just had their veal confiscated. Yes. And we know that he's foolishly put down what he assumes to be the poisoned veal somewhere in the dining room, but that doesn't come back till later. He's uh, he's opening the wine, and everything seems to be going kind of kind of well with Mr Carnegie. But now, weirdly, he declares he wants to eat at the hotel, which seems a bit odd to me, given he must have been suspicious about their health and safety practices. I wouldn't eat there. And he wants the veal. God. And Terry says... The cat had been at one of the veals. So he, he he's very good, isn't he, Terry, with the old process of elimination in this episode? Yeah. He fetches the veal from the bin that the, the cat had been munching and that had been thrown away. Yes, because he found, he found tooth marks, didn't he? He found chew, chew marks on it. Well, I think Basil did, actually. Yeah. Yeah, but it got thrown away. And uh, he says, how's the cat? And, and Basil's just hysterical at this point, isn't he, in his response? Yes. Right, now, how's the cat? How's the cat? How's the cat? We're about to take the life of a public health inspector and you want to know how's the cat? It's going to London to see the Queen. What are we going to do? It's all right. Great. Hooray! Hooray! The cat lives! The cat lives! Long live the cat! What are we going to do? So it transpires that the cat is fine. So that piece of veal must be fine. Yes. So Terry just sort of gives it a trim, doesn't he, to remove the gnaw marks. God. Yeah. And the health inspector sits down in the dining room, on a piece of veal. Yes, it's on the chair, isn't it? There's a plate of veal on the chair. Yeah. Of course. One of the ones Basil abandoned earlier. And Basil blames Manuel and twats him one. Yeah, as, again. As is his wand. Uh, weirdly, when Polly brings Carnegie his meal, it's just a plate with veal on it and a side salad on another plate. And the veal just looked really lonely to me. Yeah, there's no vegetables or anything else with it, is there? Just a big plate. And, I mean, it's been trimmed down as well, this veal. Not much of a meal. No rhyme intended. <laughs> so, seemingly having dealt with all this crisis, there's a brief respite in the frenetic pace at this point. And you can feel it in the tempo, actually, can't you? When Basil yeah. pops outside, literally for a breath, you can feel the respite. Cleese talks a lot in the in the DVD commentaries about the the beats of the yes. show and, and the pace that has to pick up and you, you have to keep hitting the beats. And this is deliberately slowed down, I suppose, because you think, oh, things are in hand. But they're not in hand, are they? Because no, Basil sees the cat choking. Yes. Yeah. So you load into like a false sense of security that everything's going to be all right. Mm. <laughs> and it's not. It's only going to get worse from here. But that, the cat choking, it seemed to me that someone was doing, a human being was doing a voiceover of what they thought a cat choking would sound like. Yeah, it wasn't very, it wasn't a natural cat choking noise, was it? Not at all, no. <laughs> Basil rushes in and snatches the veal from Carnegie, throws yeah. it in the bin in the kitchen, and Terry fixes one of the others, because his logic is, if that was a poison one, the others must be all right. Yes, yeah. But then Polly fetches the cat, who, of course, is fine. And Sybil comments that it's probably just fur balls. That's yeah. what she does that time of year. Of course, yeah. So Basil rushes in again. He grabs a second veal from Carnegie before he can eat it. And the major at this point stands up and says, Oh, you're the rat inspector. Oh, God. Yeah. 
I like the way that Basil covered for this, though, by just basically going behind the mage's head and making that universal sign for this guy's fucking nuts, you know, like waving his <laughs> waving his finger, finger around. around his ear. <laughs> yeah. Seems to mollify Mr. Carnegie. At this stage, we get to see that the rat is actually now in the dining room, milling around at the feet of some guests, unnoticed yes. by everyone except Manuel. Yes. But Manuel's bending down, isn't he, to very unsubtly Aww. look for the rat. Yeah, because it just looks like he's he's looking up that woman's skirt. Yeah, and the, the, they're very posh, this couple, aren't they? Particularly yeah. the chap. It upsets the husband, doesn't it? It upsets the man that... Yeah, he thinks she's, he thinks he's looking at her pins. Yeah. In the kitchen, meanwhile, they're, they're trying to... <laughs> ridiculously, they're busy trying to solve the riddle of which veal is poison still, rather than the sensible thing and throw the whole fucking lot Just get in rid of it and do something else. Just, yeah... The veal's off, yeah. we're, we're, we're doing steaks. So yeah, he's daft. Manuel fetches Basil from the kitchen and they're yeah. now in the dining room trying to spot the rat uh, whilst this posh tough guy is trying to sort of make his order and he's complaining no one's listening to him and of course they're still not listening to him because they're trying to find the rat. Yeah. He's got a very odd voice. Even as an actor that's putting on a posh voice. I found it really, yeah. what? Really distracting. Well, yeah, I, I just thought he was terrible. Hmm. He was even worse than Mr. Carnegie. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's coming to something when Mr. Carnegie isn't the worst actor in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Should have got scotch and water. Well, you know who they should have got, don't you? Mr. Coles, your favourite from Mr. The Good Coles, Life. Yeah. He was probably doing nothing at home. I know. Wasted. Polly spots that the rat is now in the lady guest's bag, this posh lady's bag. Mr. Posh is, is kind of annoyed that Mr. Carnegie is getting veal when he's been told it's off. Yeah. Because Carnegie's now been presented with a piece that has been, that has been chewed by the still alive cat, binned, retrieved, blown on by Jacko, oh. and then given back to him. They could kill him anyway just from all of that shit. Yeah, they? that's it. That's a recipe for diarrhea, I think. So the, so the tough guy, he loses his rag and he gets up to leave, but Basil follows them out into reception and starts literally rifling through her bag while she's wearing it over yeah. her shoulder. Yeah. And obviously she spots this and the husband kicks off. It's very odd. There's a mention of a bunch of fives. What are you doing? What? He had his hand in my bag. What? No, uh, I... You know something? You're getting my gander up, you grossy little man. <laughs> You're asking for a bunch of fives. Oh, <laughs> it's awful. Can you think of a posher character in any show ever? He's like the ultimate, isn't it? Ultimate posh man. Polly's thinking on her feet again, though, isn't she? So she blames Basil's actions on the bomb scare. Yeah. Which I guess IRA, you know, it wouldn't have been uncommon at the time for the two Quite been a, a bomb scare. sort of reach, though, isn't it, to, to, to put out the fire? Well, Cleese tells a story, doesn't he, when he's talking about Donald, what's-his-face, the real Basil Fawlty. Okay, Donald Sullivan? Sinclair. Sinclair, there we go. Whereby Donald Sinclair just moved Eric Idle's bags... In the hotel. Okay. Ah, yes! And he's like, well, where is it? And he just basically removed it off the property saying, oh, bomb scare. <laughs> he yeah, hadn't he... even told anyone. Yeah. So I expect that was probably inspired from that real-life yeah, story. based on real life. Yeah. Basil takes the bag and says, may I? And he starts having a proper look through and then he gets he gets actually bitten by the rat at this stage. Yes. Who then shoots off across reception back into the dining room. Yeah. Seemingly no one but staff have seen Basil the rat still. Manuel is in the dining room and he spots the rat come zooming in. It's clearly like a remote control. <laughs> yeah, like a wind-up mouse. It's not the worst prop <laughs> that substitutes for a real-life rat in this, no, in this episode. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I 
he's laughing at the thought but, of it. But Manuel, he, he manages to gather up the uh, the rat from under the table, but he's also been called over by Mr. Carnegie. Uh, and Manuel says, one, one moment, one momentito. Yeah. Which I'm sure can't actually be Spanish for one moment, can a it? A little tiny, like a tiny minute, I'm guessing. Is it? Yeah. Come on, you're the Spanish speaker. I know. An ito at the end of something is like a smaller, a smaller version. So oh, like yeah. a little tiny minute. I suppose like senorita. No, yeah, senorita, like a, like a, isn't it? Like a yeah. diminutive version of something. Manuel deposits the rat into the biscuit box oh, for some dear. fucking reason. Yeah. Rather than just say, I'll be back in a second, Mr. Carnegie. He just, he puts the rat in the biscuit box. He takes Mr. Carnegie's order, who of course wants cheese and biscuits. Of course he does. Of course he does. Uh, and now the major's taken the biscuit box and Manuel's confused and he rushes off into the kitchen. Polly comes in. She retrieves the biscuits from the major, not knowing that the rat is in the biscuit box, brings them over. And then finally, despite Manuel's best efforts, the health inspector is presented with the box. Basil removes the lid to reveal what can only be described as a fucking awful finger mouse type. <laughs> it was a finger mouse, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. A finger mouse rat. He looked like um do you remember in the young ones where um Vivian had a pet hamster called Special yeah. Control Group? And and he and it was that kind of weird crap puppet it was just a just a crap puppet weren't it awful wasn't it yeah well i don't i don't think it was deliberately bad but it worked well for them because it made it funnier exactly that it was this awful i mean the way just, its head just spun sat, around it was just sat, sat in in one of the, like the the trays in the yeah. in the in the box it was <laughs> you wouldn't bad. get away with it now but no. for 70 sitcom it looks hysterical the rats just sat there having a good pipe around any yeah looking right <laughs> what's going on oh Basil, as usual, attempts to cover for this. Eh? Would, would you care for would a rat? Would you care for a rat? <laughs> <laughs> this is the point, you know, where it, in my head, I thought the the episode ended there. Would you care for a rat? I was surprised to see yeah. it actually went on a, a beat or two more, didn't it? Because the box is taken away, the rat's removed, and then the box's biscuits is brought back to the bewildered Mr. Carnegie, while Sybil and Manuel distract him because Manuel... Oh, sorry, Sybil and Polly distract him because Manuel is pulling a passed out basil out of the room by his feet isn't he yes yeah and that's the end of the episode i think he, that 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 couple of beats extra were mm. just unnecessary it could have ended on would you care for a rat the end mm, yeah and that's not unusual for faulty towers to end that way either when you look at other episodes yeah we've been to a wedding but they wanted to show basil just clearly hadn't hadn't coped at all in yeah. fact do you know what I've just made up my own headcanon because this is the very last ever episode. Yes. This isn't Basil fainting. This is Basil having a fatal coronary. Right. And he just died on the spot. And dies, and that's, yeah. And that's why we never see or hear from him again. Right, yeah. The stress has just taken him out. Yeah. Well, long overdue, I would say. Yeah. But there again, <laughs> there'd have been no series, no second series because he just dies. No, well, this is the end of the second series, isn't it? Yeah, but no second series. No, the, 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 he, he, he oh, if he died he early, died. he should have died right at the start of, of the first episode. Yeah. It's true, yeah. At the moment, he yells, "You bastard!" <laughs> to, to Lord Melbury, he should have just pegged out there. <laughs> She's a fine woman, Mrs. Faulty. No, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, no, I. 
So, things to talk about that we haven't discussed, because this is another hectic episode. It is, isn't it? It is very hectic. One thing we didn't discuss in this episode was just that, uh, apparently, the scenes with the live rat had to be filmed before the audience arrived, just in case the rat ran amok and caused... The, you know, if the, if the rat had run into the audience, you would have had them all screaming like Gatsby and Tibbs, wouldn't you? Right, it's like a health and safety thing. Okay. Yeah, so it was ca- it was canned laughter. or I don't know, canned laughter. They showed it on a screen probably, I, I expect. But they couldn't risk um, having a real-life rat on set. So obviously they had the animatronic rat that zoomed across the floor and they had that finger-mouse rat. And finger-mouse rat in the biscuit box. I feel very sad for rats. Rats have, re- have really got a bad name. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll get over it. <laughs> I, no, it worries me. It, it bothers me that people do assume that rats are just horrible, disgusting plague things. And they're not. They're gorgeous. They're very clever. Rats are very clever. You can train them like dogs. Can you? Mm. What, to sit and roll over? Do tricks, yeah. Yeah. Oh. They say if you, if you can't have a dog, that a rat is like the, the second best thing that you can have. Oh, Christ. Well, mind you, my wife keeps, you know, when she was a kid, she kept snakes and... Oh, really? And, um, toads and things like that. So, I mean, each, each to their own. Yeah. yeah, she had. What are, the, what are them fucking lethal snakes? Uh, boa constrictor. No, no, she would have a boa, boa constrictor. constrictor. <laughs> uh, um, no, she had one of the ones that squeezes life, life out of you, though. That's a boa constrictor, isn't it? No, something python she had. Burmese python. Right. They're fucking lethal. Oh. You shouldn't. You shouldn't have them. No. I mean, they are legal to have, but. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of no, not at all. No. Each to their own, though. Yeah, you know. exactly, exactly. You can have a rat; she can have a snake, just as long as she doesn't live with me when she's got one. I'll stick to the cat. Yeah. But my cat's got a name, unlike Basil and Sybils. <laughs> Did you pick any bric-a-brac in this one for this final episode? Do you know what? There was nothing sort of set-wise that I that I spotted, mm. but and I know it's not a seventies-centric thing, but just. Cheese and biscuits as a, as as, a, as an afters. Yeah, good pick actually. Where I live, there was a restaurant that was called Smithers Coaching House, and it was the whole sort of thing of it was it was like a Dickensian. It had lots of Dickensian characters. It was set up as like a, like an old fashioned coaching house, and Dickensian mm. um, characters were all over the, the the walls, and a lots lots of things on the menu were Dickensian related themed names and mm. things and at the at the end of your meal there was the cheese biscuit the cheese and biscuit table so you'd you'd have that as your afters and you'd go mm. and like cut a massive big wedge of edam and have diff- like a, a whole array of, of crackers and and i just remember it being of of a time it's not something that you see anymore i know often they do have like cheese and biscuits and but it was like you know you had cheddar you had edam and that was like the most exotic of, of the cheeses that were available Hmm. It was like a big ball of Edam. And so you didn't my... have your French ones or anything. No, stage, God, no, you? no. It was Edam, it was cheddar, a bit a bit of crumbly, crumbly Lancashire. And that's that was it. That was your that was your one of one of your afters choices. Um, so in my head, that's very much of a of a time. Hmm. Did you hear about that explosion in the in the French cheese factory the other day? I didn't. All that was left was debris. Debris Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Tumbleweed. I love a, I love a brie. I love a brie. Oh yeah, and a bit of camembert. Ooh. It stinks. Oh, the the only thing is that every time I open the fridge when we've got some brie or camembert, all I can think is who's farted. It stinks in here. I love it. Just it. Link, it's just the smell of bums all over your house. Yeah, I think it's 
I prefer a brie when it's gone really, really. I mean, brie is just uh, cheese. Sorry, is just what happens when milk's gone off anyway. Yeah. So the longer yeah. it goes off and the smellier it gets, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Just wafting it all over your house every time you open the fridge. Yeah. I still have cheese and biscuits as a as a dessert sometimes. I love a cheese and biscuits. I like to cut up bits of cheese and bits of apple and just have them together. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Bit of or sweet grapes, and apple and grapes, lovely. Yeah. I like a cheese. I like a cheese. A cheese board. I think I think just because my my first sort of, sort of memory of going out for like a nice meal with your family in like the early eighties included mm. a not very adventurous cheese board. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Would you have ordered like a ploughman's and then had cheese board? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you never see a ploughman's anymore, do you? No. But but if you do see a ploughman's, it's not a standard ploughman's. It's like um. A gentrified ploughman's so you've got like quince jelly there's no there's no like just no. a bit of branston mm. you've got like some kind of uh middle class jelly to, to spread on your crackers served to you and not on a plate but on like a bird's nest or a fucking no, toilet bowl it or away. yeah bring it back put it on a plate i do not want my cheese board brought on a spade yeah what's wrong with a plate <sighs> that's, that's that twitter handle isn't it we want plates we want plates, yes, yeah. Nice and simple. Brought like bread, bread, but brought in a like an old man's flat cap. Take it away. <laughs> I don't want it. Take it away. I'll be bringing stuff in, in like used colostomy bags there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you get your, your condiments. You squeeze it out at the end, like yeah, a bit of ketchup. When you pipe in a <laughs> icing onto a cake. Oh. Yeah, it's out of a colostomy bag. <laughs> Did you spot any bric-a-brac in this episode, Ben? I did, but it was barely visible, so you nobody else would have probably spotted it. But you know when Manuel, I rewound this several times to check, when Manuel went out to see to his rat, yes, and he and he went through the yard, and there was like used crates of coke and stuff like that. Right. There was there was a box, an empty box of crisps, like a crisp Ooh. packaging, and do you know what it was? What were they? Square crisps. <gasps> Yum. Didn't even know they were still they were in by seventy nine. No, I don't. I, I, have I seen them? Have I seen them recently at all, or have they gone? I don't know. I do well, love a square crisp. I thought they were well gone, but I mean, maybe they brought them back since I've been out of the UK. I don't know. Mm. What's your favourite retro crisp? I want to say pickled onion monster munch. You can still get them. True. Um, yeah. But they were my ultimate faves because mm. they make me. Even when I think about pickled onion monster munch, it makes. The saliva glands in my cheeks activate, and I can know, mm. I can taste them. God, all this food talk, man! It's nearly oh. eleven p.m. here, and I really want to go home and just eat, stuff my face with cheese yeah. and bread and crisp. What? 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 what, what have you got a favourite retro crisp? Oh, Ringo's, Ringo's. Sorry, um, cheese and onion Ringo's as well. Oh, Ringo! Yeah, I remember Ringo's. Do you remember those ones that are, uh, they probably might even still have them? They were like sticks and salt and vinegar, and really, really strong salt and vinegar. I don't know what they're called though. Were they? I don't know. It, I know if you said it. Like chipsticks? Were they? Were they chip? Were they chipsticks? Were they like puffy ones? Yeah, like more like corn flour. And they left loads of crisp, left loads of crisp dust in the bottom of your bag. Oh, crisp yeah. dust! That's what they should do with these posh do's now, rather than having things like pate and foot foie yeah, gras. Just, just, just gentrify crisp dust. <laughs> we should market it. <laughs> and you have to, and you have to wet your finger. <laughs> you just dip it in a bowl. Yeah, that's not one for the pandemic world, is it? <laughs> No, see, that's it. It never, it never even happened, but it's never going to happen now, is it? This isn't just crisp dust. This is Marks and Spencers. 
crisp. Does. Absolutely, yeah. That's how you know that something's been gentrified. They have they have scraps. They sell they sell little box of scraps. You know, like fish and chip scraps. No, in M and S, you can buy Do scraps. They? Yeah. What a share of bellends. Mm. Who buys them though? Well, knobheads probably. Yeah. I mean, just just go down a chippy. Yeah, just go and ask for a, a, a scoop of a yeah. scoop of scraps. Yeah. Can you get half a scoop there? Because we can get half a scoop here if you order half, half a, a scoop. scoop. Yeah, that's a common thing to order half a scoop. Really? When I was a kid, one of my friend's sister worked in a chip shop. Mm. And he was really fucking proud of this. He'd be like, oh, discount chips for me whenever I go in a chip shop. Yep. Even when she's not on, it was like a friend's, it was a family discount. Okay. But he was such a chancer. One day, he was skint and he had 16p. Right. And he, and he I was like, oh, I can't go for chips today then, can we, Mike? He's like, no, 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 we'll be all right. He walked in and he's like, oh, can I have 16p's worth of chips? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Just got laughed out of the shop. I bet that got you loads, though. I bet that got you loads of chips, though, for 16p then. Well, he wouldn't give him a 16p portion. He's like, look, it's either a full portion. Yeah. With a discount. Yeah. He wouldn't even do him half a scoop. Oh. You can't just have a 16p portion. Or else you could just be, be in just asking for all sorts of money's worth, couldn't you? Well, having said that, this, the guy who ran that chippy, who who's a Greek fella that we used to call Stavros, because it was the 80s and it was a different time. Of course. He had this weird habit as if you come in with your kids, like I was a kid at the time, hmm. he'd get a fork... In fact, he was there for years. He used to do it with my kids as well. He'd get a fork and put two chips on it and hand and hand the kid a fork just oh, with two chips on. Like a taster yeah. before, you, yeah. before you order. But it's a weird like little treat to be giving kids, isn't it? Just two chips on a fork. It's not like a lollipop, is it? Here you go. Have some deep fried potato. That's the best lollipop anyone could give me. Do you think? Two chips oh. on a fork, yeah. Kudos to Stavros then. Oh. His name no doubt is not Stavros. <laughs> no. Shall we have a uh, final trip of the season to Fashion Corner, Al? Let's do that. Well, it's time to take a little trip to the place that long ago was hip. It's Fashion Corner. It's Fashion Corner. It's Fashion Corner. Fashion Corner. Oh. Right at the beginning of the episode, when it's it's all it's all going a bit nuts, when they're having to clean the hotel to to appease the um, the public health officer. Sybil is her cleaning clothes that she's got on are uh, amazing and our starting point for fashion corner this week she's got like an overall and a headscarf and the overall has like a spotty a spotty pattern to it and she's got like a powder blue headscarf on which is like which is what I don't know women in sitcoms wear when they are cleaning not yeah, the very dinner car. ladies wasn't it yeah <laughs> bit of a, like a, a headscarf but she looked lovely Manuel, when he's upstairs playing his Spanish guitar and singing, is in a silky, what looks like a silky dressing gown with like a golden brown satin trim and belt. But it's, it's over his work clothes. So I don't know whether he's sort of like finished and then put his put his little dressing gown on or whether he's just put that on purely to create music. I don't know. It's a bit like Mr. Mr. Ben when he goes in the shop and he just... Yeah. He's always yeah. got the same clothes on, but then puts it on over over the top. Or, or maybe yeah. he's just sort of like maybe he's just having a quick break and he's he needs to get undressed quickly to go back to work. Anyway, Basil Basil's check check suit. I think you mentioned earlier he was looking quite dapper. Mm, cravatted, wasn't he? Yeah, fawn a fawn colour with a with a cravat. And like we said last week, we've not seen much cravatage, but yeah, Basil does rock a a cravat. Sybil 
later on when she's out of her cleaning clothes is in like a baby baby pink blouse with a waterfall collar like a like a, a like a wiggly collar and the necktie which you, we've, we've, we've seen is of, of the time the, the necktie that's part of the the blouse and she's got a cream skirt and, and a baby pink belt on as well she looks quite quite cute in the indoors she's always like we said she's always, she's always dressed for the occasion of, of working and she always looks very smart posh man posh half of the couple with the ridiculous lines and bad acting mm. um, he is somebody else in this episode with a cravat um, he's in like a fawn jacket with a checked shirt and the shirt looked like um, you know like the paper that you use in maths at school and it's literally just squares so white shirt squares and, and a maroon paisley cravat he had on so nothing matched it was all very mismatched and i think that, that mm. was over time i think people just used to like cobble together items rather than being coordinated like whereas now you'd see you'd have like a matching shirt suit tie uh waistcoat or whatever in in the sort of seven, late 70s early 80s it just like a very cobbled together look rather than mm. things being more streamlined and I think that's, that's all I've got this week for, for Fashion Corner. Been a good deep dive into the fashion. There's been so many characters to look at this series, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Real, a real a real mismatch of, of all sorts of, of, of characters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, certainly after The Good Life, where it was basically the Jerry and Margot show. <laughs> yeah, that's all there was to mention. And uh, the goods had the same on every week. At least there was lots of, lots of different items on display. And I think you could see from... The first series to the second series, I think you could see sort of a graduation into how things how things changed over over those years. Hmm. Yeah. You see some stuff, particularly in this latter series, that's more indicative of the coming fashions of the eighties, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I think like Sybil's um, pleather slash satin skirt was a definite move into the early eighties, like the short mini skirt look. Uh, and what Eunice Stubbs had on last week was a bit more. 80s, I thought, wasn't it? Yeah, especially her eyeshadow. God, yeah. Yeah. Now then, Saddles, it's voting time. If you're not already part of our Facebook group, not the page, the group mind, then please join and you'll get to cast your vote from our shortlist of four British sitcoms over the coming week or two. Alternatively, sign up to our mailing list, which you can join by visiting saddle.club and you'll receive a link through which you can also vote and have your say. It's entirely in your hands. We've curated four shows we're happy to deep dive when we return for Series 3. And it's up to you which one we dedicate our time to next. So, get involved and have your say. And we'll be back with your choice before Christmas after a wee break. You can also follow us at Saddle Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or by searching for Saddle Podcast on Facebook, where we have both a page and a group, as we mentioned. You can email us if you have any feedback for us, saddlepodcast at gmail.com. And please do subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Yeah, uh, we're really looking forward to Series 3. And we've had some brilliant suggestions and we've, we've narrowed it down to four options. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see those options, like I say, make sure you're in the group or you're on the mailing list and you will get to have your vote. And that's quite exciting. We, we like involving people don't we? we we had fun with brian last week and the quiz we do it's really it, yeah it's really exciting if you're a member of the facebook group you could probably join us next season as well for a quiz like brian did last week and take on al <laughs> when she puts her les trousers on or take on me if that's your preference i'm sure there'll be opportunities won't there indeed 
Uh, sorry for not doing Blankety Blank the series, by the way. I was going to do one today, but then I realised how long this episode would be as it is. So we'll rectify that next season, I promise. <laughs> Blankety Blank's actually back on in, in Britain, isn't it, at the moment? I don't... I, I've, I've not seen it. It's Bradley, what? Bradley Walsh? Bradley Walsh, yeah. Yeah. Nearly said Bradley Cooper, but it, I don't think he's... <laughs> He's no. not on his ass that much, is he? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, these days, any time they bring a quiz show back or have a new quiz show, in fact, it's either Bradley Cooper or Danny Dyer. It seems not Bradley it? Cooper. It's Bradley Walsh. Brad, Bradley Walsh <laughs> or Danny. <laughs> Danny Dyer or Vernon Kerr. I think they wheel out quite often now for. Is he? No. Or Paddy McGuinness. Question of sport, Paddy McGuinness. What's that about? Used to be a sports journalist, didn't it? I don't watch it. I don't watch it. Oh, you've interviewed him, haven't you? Did. I did, a yeah. long time ago, yeah. Mm. Let the owl see the paddy. Yeah. Before, it was before he was, like, as as big as he is now. Yeah. Just around the time of, of Phoenix Nights, I think. But he was still he was still a, um, what they call Oh, PT. Yeah, he was a PT. Should we cut out all this Paddy McGuinness yeah. content? <laughs> Danny Dyer. Can you imagine him doing Blankety Blank? No. <laughs> That fucking blank is taking fucking liberties, isn't he? Twat. No, it wouldn't work. Imagine Bradley Cooper's like Cockney Wide Boys, right? Bradley Ford. No, he's not. Why do I do this every He's a Hollywood week? actor. Bradley Cooper on the brain. Right, that's a good good enough reason to sign off as any. We'll be back around Christmas time with, with season three of the Sado podcast. We will indeed. Subject matter to be decided by you. Exciting. I'll see thee. Goodbye. Ha <laughs> ha